All right. We do say happy Mother's Day to all the moms uh, listening online and at one of our locations. We honor you on this, your very special day. But you know, I've discovered that Mother's Day is a mixed bag of emotions. Would you agree? For instance, if you have a precious new child in your home, Mother's Day is probably off the charts with joy for you because you're celebrating that new wonderful life that is a precious gift from God. Also, if your mother happens to be maybe your best friend and you not only see her as heroic for all the sacrifices she made for you, uh, but you just enjoy her presence. You enjoy talking to her and being around her. Then again, Mother's Day is probably a joyous occasion. But I've been around ministry long enough and had enough real wrenching conversations to know that it's not that way for everyone. Uh, For every heroic mom, there's at least one case where a mom was uh, maybe absent or uh, disappointing or downright destructive. And that's why I say that Mother's Day is a mixed bag of emotions. Everyone feels a little differently about it. Others of you may be struggling with the heartache and stress of infertility, and it's like a roller coaster ride. You get your your hopes up, and and then you're disappointed again. You yearn to have a little child that you can pour your life and love into, but so far, it has only ended in disappointment. Or perhaps you're a mom today and you have the gift of children, but maybe your children are breaking your heart because they're living contrary to the values that you so treasure. And so, quite honestly, you have this anxiety about them and and where they're going and what their future holds. That's why I say Mother's Day is a mixed bag of emotions. Well, Well, here's the deal. My hope, is that you would find something encouraging out of today. I wish, as a pastor, I could always be encouraging. It's actually my spiritual gift, the primary gift that motivates me. I love to encourage people. But here's the thing. As a pastor, the Bible says that I can't always be encouraging. In fact, it says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Sometimes leaders have to correct. Sometimes we even have to rebuke. Yuck. Who likes that? I sure don't. So I can't always be encouraging. Many decisions we have to make are simply not going to encourage everyone all the time. But here's my hope, again, that today God the Holy Spirit has something for you through his word, whether you're married or unmarried, dad or mom, whether you're single and never intend to get married, I hope you'll find something in God's word to encourage you. Now, we're starting our story today with a woman named Hannah. She lived in a a time long ago, but I think you're going to be amazed at how many connection points there are to her life and her story. And I want you to notice four B words 
about Hannah. I first heard these four words in a seminary classroom from Dr. Marvin Tate, a revered Hebrew scholar. And talking about Hannah, he said there was a progression in her life from barrenness to bitterness on to brokenness and finally blessing. And those four words stuck with me. I jotted them down. I don't remember much about the lecture, but I thought, wow, that seems to be insightful. So let's begin Hannah's story here, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and let's see what we can learn together. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. And then verse 2 says, he had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Time out. Wait a minute. Did I read that correctly? I thought this said that this guy had two wives. Is that what it says? Yes, that's what it says. And I hope you're asking, well, is God okay with that? Answer, absolutely not. So a little hermeneutical lesson here before we go any further. When you're reading your Bible, and I hope you are, I hope you're in the regular practice of that, you need to understand that not everything in the Bible is prescriptive. If you don't understand that, you're going to make some horrible conclusions. So, especially when you're reading a history book, like 1 Samuel, you need to understand it's primarily descriptive, not prescriptive. And there's a big difference. God never sanctioned what Elkanah is doing. God made it clear from the book of Genesis, his ideal in marriage, a man and a woman joined together in holy matrimony. But in our sinful humanity, we botch that up. And one expression of that is what you're seeing in today's story. So I tell you this because it's really an important principle. So much of what is in the historical narrative sections of the Bible is simply describing the raw reality of brokenness and sinfulness and all that's going on, but it's not prescribing that for us today necessarily. If you don't understand that, you may come to some horrible conclusions, all right? So now, with that little hermeneutical moment done, let's keep on reading. It says that Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Now, Shiloh was not Jerusalem. Shiloh was north of Jerusalem, and it was one of those official places where worship of the living God went on. There were sacrifices made there. There were priests who lived there and presided over the official worship of the Israelite people. It was a place, it says, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Now, real quick, just a little bit about background, because background is often very helpful in understanding things. This was a time in Israel's life called the period of the judges. It, that period is just coming to an end here. And the period of the judges 
was a time of general lawlessness. In fact, Judges 21, verse 25, puts it like this. At that time, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. So everybody's going around doing what's right in their own eyes. It's a sense of anarchy and lawlessness that's going on. But also, spiritually speaking, things are at a low ebb. God wasn't giving a lot of special revelation in this particular period of time. And so the life of Israel spiritually is kind of in demise right now. But in the midst of that reality, here's a family here who's still engaging in worship. So in that sense, they're continuing to be faithful even though this is a tough time to do it. By the way, I would suggest that we live in a day like that when it, 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 it can be awfully discouraged, it can be awfully difficult to remain faithful to God. But here's what I want you to hear. Even faithful families have pain. Hope we understand that. And a part of Hannah's emotional pain is that she is barren. That's the Old Testament word for it. Today, we would probably call that infertility. And some of you know the pain of that. Like I said, it's a roller coaster ride to be sure. But for Hannah, it has this added stigma. Here's what I mean. You see, every young Jewish woman who's married has this hope in the back of her mind that maybe, just maybe, God would give her the privilege of being the mother of the Messiah. But if you're infertile, if you're barren, then you have no hope of that. You're excluded even from the potential of that blessing. And so there's this spiritual stigma attached that maybe, just maybe, God is punishing you for some sin in your life. Bottom line, to be barren in this day was a as it is today, is a horrible burden to bear. But, but let's apply this to all of us. Would you agree with me that barrenness can come in all kinds of shapes and forms? I mean, some of you are barren in friendship today. Uh, you've lost some good friends, perhaps, and you're struggling to try to trust anyone again and, and, and really build a good friendship. Some of you are barren in finances. You try to get ahead, but as much as you try, you just can't seem to get over the hump. Some of you are barren in your emotional life. Your life is filled with stress. It's hectic, and it feels like the tossing sea, and you just can't get rest, and you long for some peace of mind. Now, we're being honest, quite a few people today are, quote, barren in their marriage. Oh, you started off marriage with high hopes. You wanted to do this journey together, but your dream boat has become a shipwreck. And you honestly don't know what to do about it. And even though, even though you're technically married, you feel more alone than ever. Barrenness, trust me comes in all kinds of shapes 
and forms. And that's why there's something here today for every one of us. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see how Hannah is being treated because that's what makes matters even worse for her, how she's treated by some of the important people in her life. I'm starting here with verse four. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival, that is Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, Hannah dear, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? And then guys, don't ever use this line, okay? This next line don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Now, we're gonna come back to that later because that, that says something about Alcana's emotional intelligence here, but we won't, we won't go off on that right now. We'll come back to it, okay? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Hannah's saying here, she's probably invoking a Nazarite vow here for if God would just give her a son, that she would dedicate him in a special way. That's what a Nazarite vow was. She would dedicate him back to the Lord for the Lord's purposes. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get off the sauce, girl. Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Now, as if her barrenness is not enough, now she has this extra pain of people in her life, her husband, her priest, the other woman, all mistreating her in some way. And can we just get real for a minute? When you've got important people in your life misunderstanding you and wrongly judging you, it's hard not to be bitter, right? I mean, you really struggle to not be bitter. Now, let's just pause here and say a word about relationships. I, you've probably heard this old saying, but you know, there, there's often a lot of truth in these little sayings. You've heard this, hurting people 
hurt people, right? That, that's generally true. Hurting people hurt people. In other words, we kind of react out of our own pain and we end up kind of being toxic and hurting other people. So here's what's happening in our story. Penina is emotionally barren because her husband doesn't really love her and she knows that. It's not lost on Penina that it's, it's Hannah that Alcana really loves, not her. So she lashes out in her own pain. Eli the priest misjudges Hannah because Eli, in his own way, is also barren. If you read on in the story, he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and even though they're doing religious things, their life is absolutely out of control. And you find out that Eli's been a negligent father. He's not brought appropriate boundaries and discipline into their lives, and so they're living debaucherous lives, and he is still doing nothing about it. Any way you slice it, this is one dysfunctional mess. And so here's Hannah trying to live for God in the midst of all of this mess, and she's fighting bitterness. Don't you just love the Bible? Can I tell you what this sounds like to me? When I read a story, this is why I love the Bible so much. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. This family is a hot mess. This family is like almost every family I know, tons of problems. And the Bible just tells it like it is. I love that because it just says to me that God is telling us the truth here. And he's showing us, even through these stories, a glimpse into our own lives. So if you can identify in any way today with Hannah, then take hope. I believe that God has something for you today. He has something he wants to speak to your life. So how does Hannah respond in the midst of this mess? Well, it's interesting. It it describes it. When Penina provokes her, as she does constantly, Hannah doesn't return evil for evil. Instead, she weeps and she won't eat. And again, Elkanah is just emotionally unprepared to deal with this. He's kind of clueless, honestly, in how to relate to Hannah's hurt. He thinks that showering her with gifts will help. But those tangible gifts he gives her does nothing to address the bitterness in Hannah's soul. Oh, this story is just so relatable. There's something in it for everyone. I I believe I'm talking to some husbands right now, and you can identify with Elkanah in this story, in this sense. You try to help your wife. You know your wife is hurting, but it seems like that nothing you do is ever enough. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, okay? But trust me, virtually every married man's hand would go up in here. And so when your wife is feeling barren, whatever form or shape that's in, it takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of compassion to walk that walk with her because she probably doesn't even understand it all herself. 
All she knows is that inside a tempest is brewing and she desperately wants some relief. That tempest may come early in the marriage. And she realizes, wow, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Or it may come a little bit later when children come along and she realizes, well, I love these kids. I'd give my life for them, but I don't feel cut out for this. Nobody ever prepared me for this. Where did I miss the textbook on parenting? Or it may come later when the children move away and suddenly you're faced with an empty nest. Whoa. You know, life's about seasons, right? And suddenly, suddenly again, you're in a season that nobody prepared you for. Where was I supposed to learn this stuff? What is the rest of my life gonna be like? And then you hit menopause. Oh my goodness. And your husband's looking at you going, I think I recognize you, but I think somebody kidnapped my wife. This isn't the woman I used to be married to. Hey, let's just have a little fun. Can we have a little fun in church? A word of advice to husbands right now. I know it's Mother's Day, but let me talk to husbands for just a moment. Huddle up, guys. If your wife is struggling, my advice, don't be a fixer. She doesn't need you to be a fixer. Elkanah was a fixer. Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Now, if Hannah was being honest in that moment, she would say, absolutely not, dude. That would be an honest answer. Elkanah can't fix this problem for Hannah. He's not infertile. He's already had a number of kids with the other woman. It's Hannah who's struggling with infertility. She's barren. And what she needs from her husband right now is not some knight in shining armor to come right again and fix everything, which he can't do anyway. Husbands, what she needs right now from her husband is validation. She needs, it, it doesn't have to be exact, but she needs to hear some message like this. Honey, I know this is real. I see it. It's real. You're not dreaming this up in your mind, and it is sad. And I want you to know, I am with you through this, whatever it takes. In fact, I am amazed at how you're navigating this, sweetheart. I don't know how you're doing it, but we're in this together. And while I cannot fix this or take it away, I'm here for you. And by the way, I love you so much. That's what she needs to hear, a message like that. Husbands and wives, I got bad news for you. You cannot meet all of your spouse's needs. Good news, you were never meant to in the first place. There's no husband, no wife, no person that can complete you. Your ultimate fulfillment must be in God alone through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is valuable advice right now. If you think some spouse is going to give you ultimate happiness and fulfillment, no wonder you're so unha unhappy and so unfulfilled. 
You're expecting something of a mere mortal, a mere human, that no mere human can give you. Your fulfillment must be in Christ alone. You're complete in Christ. And if your ultimate fulfillment is not in God through Christ, whoo, you're headed for a train wreck. You're headed for crippling codependency in your relationship because you're expecting something that your partner can never deliver. Man, I love my wife. Let me tell you, God blessed me in Debbie with an amazing wife. We love each other so much, and I, I just, <laughs> I'm one grateful guy. But can I tell you something about Debbie and me? While we love each other so much, we're having the best time we've ever had, we're under no delusion that ultimate fulfillment is found in marriage. Don't demand that from your mate, what can be found in Christ alone. When you realize that, suddenly you've got a foundation in Christ to really be free to love your mate, not in a codependent way, not in some unhealthy, weird, dysfunctional way, but to love them for who they are, all the good, all the bad, and it is awesome. You didn't know you were going to get a lecture on marriage, did you? But I just throw that in for free. So, can you identify with Hannah? Here she is. She's barren. She's bitter. She's got all these mocking people around her, misjudging her. And in verse 10, she says, it says, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much. You bet she did. Because life, dog, it's hard. But here, since, since we're getting real today, Here's the weird irony about it. When she goes to the place of worship in Shiloh, it's even worse because she has all these happy, rejoicing worshipers around her, and it just tends to highlight her own sadness. Hey, I'm curious. Have you ever gone to church with a big burden? You didn't want to talk about it necessarily, but you were sad, you were kind of grieving something or whatever. Have you ever gone to church? You're in the middle of a worship service where everybody, and you just wanted to slap some of the happy Christians around you? Has that, has that ever happened to you? Oh man, I've been there so many times. I just want to turn to some happy Christian around me and go, would you wipe that ecstatic joy off your face? But you never would, of course, because you're glad they're rejoicing. Maybe their life is going great, but you're hurting. And I just want to tell you, don't, don't let anything rob you of your joy in coming and worshiping Christ. Be exuberant worshipers, but as you express your exuberant joy and gratitude to God, just be aware that around you are some people who are probably sad. They're probably sad. Because life ain't always a bowl of cherries. So just be aware of that as you come to the place of worship. So is there a path out of this mess? Praise God there is. God doesn't leave us in our 
barrenness and bitterness. The path out of it is that third word that Marvin Tate used, and that's the word brokenness. Brokenness is where you've exhausted all of your human resources, and you're no longer expecting a spouse, a friend, a pastor, or even a some counseling professional, as skilled as they are, you're no longer expecting them to be the answer. And in your brokenness, you look up and you surrender it all to God. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a moment where you looked up? Look at how Hannah did this here in verse 11. Oh, Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me. And what follows is this incredible portrait of brokenness. In fact, she's so broken, as we saw, that Eli the priest thinks she's drunk. And she has to explain, I'm a woman who is deeply troubled here. And yet she perseveres in this brokenness. And in verse 17, we read, Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. What an impressive person Hannah is. She's released this whole situation to God And now, mind you, her prayer has not been answered yet. That's what makes this so impressive. She's still barren, but her face is no longer downcast. She's found strength in God, and that has brought her the peace that she's seeking. God hasn't even answered a prayer, but she's confident because she surrendered it all to God, whatever the outcome may be. That, my friends, is a powerful place to be. Verse 19 says, early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So, in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. What a journey she's been on. God's brought her through barrenness, through bitterness, on to a place of brokenness, and now to a tremendous place of blessing. So please understand, we're not holding Hannah up today as a model because God answered her prayer. Hannah would be a worthy model even if God never gave her a child. No, no, no. We're looking to Hannah for this reason, because in her brokenness, she knew where to turn. In her brokenness, she knew exactly where to turn. She turned to the true and living God. And by the way, she called her son Samuel, because L, that's the end of Samuel's name, L 
gave him to her. El Shaddai, that's one of the Hebrew names for God. And she explained that here in verse 20. She said, because I asked the Lord for him. Question, have you ever asked El Shaddai for anything? Oh, not, not that you use that Hebrew name for God, but have you, is there anything, anything in your life today where you say, hey, this is in my life and I'm so thankful for it because you know, I asked for God for this and I, and I committed it to him in advance. Would that be true of your career? Would it be true of your spouse? What, what about the, the peace of mind that you enjoy today or maybe, maybe your financial stability? See, to me, here's the most single impressive thing about Hannah. Here it is. She not only reached this place of surrender in her brokenness, but she lived a life of surrender from then on. Please notice this. When God answered her prayer and gave her a, a son, she didn't say, aha, he's mine now. I'm gonna be the original helicopter parent. I will never let him out of my sight. Gotcha, God. No. no. Hannah's the real deal. She followed through. She made good on her promise to God. And when the time was appropriate, she released Samuel to fulfill his divine calling, and she did not get in the way of that, even though that must have been awfully emotionally hard to do. Read on in verse 27. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he, that is Samuel, this young boy at this point, he worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Where are you in this equation today, on this progression? God has brought Hannah through barrenness, bitterness, brokenness, and now to an incredible place of blessing where she's just rejoicing in the Lord. And wherever you may be on that spectrum, my prayer is that God would take you to the next step of the journey, to a life of blessed surrender to him. Father, thank you for the example that Hannah is. We can identify with her in so many ways, whoever we are because we've all felt the sting of being barren in some way or bitter. I ask today that you'd bring us to a place of blessed, broken surrender to you. Whether we just say, Lord, I'm yours. My future is yours. All that I am, all that I'm not, I, I just, I'm yours. Whatever the outcome, I'm gonna glorify you. I'm gonna live for you ever future you have for me. It's all for your honor and glory. May that be the way we live. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.